one touch when you're this hungry, when you're this thirsty, one touch changes your life forever. Love has conquered every fear, broke down each wall. There are so many notches in that key to break through. I've made duplicates of the key, and I will give them to anyone who will take one. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? Such as I have, give I thee the key to breakthrough. I'm going to focus in on this. I'm going to fast for this. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to worship for this. I'm going to be in the house of God every night for this. I'm going to press in. I'm going to hunger. I'm going to thirst. I'm going to get desperate. I'm going to get in every line. I'm going to put my feet on the blue line for this one day. More of you. Less of me until it's all of you and none of me. everyone. This is Dr. Debbie Rich here once again today with Keys to Breakthrough. And I'm so excited to be able to come to you today with what I believe is one of the most important messages that I have ever preached. And the Lord gave it to me back in February after Pastor Rodney Howard Brown's uh, winter camp meeting in January that got extended for four weeks. And the Lord began to speak to me about who are we river people? Who is our own company? What are we? What identifies us? And so I started a series two weeks ago on this very subject. I have never been able to preach the entire series the way the Lord has given it to me, delivering this message, message in different uh, river churches, both here in the United States and across river, across river, across Europe. And, uh, and, of course, the Holy Ghost takes you in different directions each night. And as I stop and pray for people or minister healing, I have never been able to, in a one-week revival, get this series out. So I'm excited to bring it to you. If you have not been able to listen to last week's or the week before, please try to go back, either on YouTube or on Facebook, and watch the beginning of this series because if I review it every week, we are never going to make much progress. And I talked about the importance of having your own company, what the Bible was talking about in Acts 4.23, when it says, in being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And this was after persecution. And I think we've seen enough just with the pandemic and some other things that we need our own company to come back to. When the heat of fiery trials is breathing down our neck, we need our own company. And then we talked in generalities about what river people, who we are, that we are soul winners, we are water walkers, we are nation shakers, we are people of the Holy Ghost, we are people of the word, we are tithers, we are givers. We are people who believe that healing and signs and wonders are for today. We are people who've had a Holy Ghost download. We are people who hunger and thirst. But now, beginning today, we're going to take some of these things apart and get very specific into each one of them. So the first one I want to talk about that should be a little bit obvious, where do we even get that name, the river? What do you mean by the river of God? Who are we river people? So we're going to talk about what a river does. We are revival people. And what does a river do? A river brings life. A river brings healing. A river brings refreshing. 
a river takes you places. When you look at where cities and towns have been established in this nation, most of them were established at the mouth of a river so that barges could bring supplies, boats could bring supplies, so that they had somewhere to get a water supply. You can get clean in a river, provided it's not a muddy river. You can you can drink out of a river and have your thirst quenched. So there are many things that a river does. And the river we're talking about is a spiritual river that comes from the throne room of God. And it makes us very glad. And I want us to look at Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 9. It says, It shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. That's a good thing. Wherever the river comes, people will live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. If I walk into a church and it's dead, I know there's no river here. Maybe there was once upon a time, but at some place, at some uh, stopping point, they dammed up that river, said we no longer want it, whether board members said that, whether a pastor said that, whether the church was congregation ruled and they said that. Somebody stopped the flow of the mighty, mighty river of God. And what a shame you walk in and you can smell death. You're just like, uh, everybody died a long time ago and they're just being propped up like it's a museum. There's no life here. There's no healing here. There's no joy here. There's no gifts of the spirit in operation. Nobody is doing anything in outreach. Nobody's witnessing. Nobody's getting saved. You just got a few old timers sitting there bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. And then when they get to the part that says we shall come rejoicing, you don't see any. We will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And you go, dear God, I got to raise the dead this week. There is no river here. I don't even know if they've ever heard of a river, let alone swim in it know how to flow in it. So Ezekiel says here, and it's good to read the whole 47th chapter of Ezekiel, but for time purposes, uh, we're just reading uh, individual verses out of it. Psalm chapter one, verse three, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Rivers bring prosperity. Again, that's why towns, many of them were founded on a river. And even the towns around them get their supply from the river that comes to that main town that they are close to. Because a river is going to bring commerce, prosperity, selling, receiving, giving, going back and forth. And it says here that a tree that has deep roots is going to be planted by the river, and then it will have fruit. A tree has to have a supply of water to its deep roots. So you wonder why some people are shallow? They have never been planted even close to a river. They're planted close to religion. They're planted close to the world. They're planted close to church politics. And I'm just here because grandpa bought the pew and great grandma bought the chairs 
and they have great potlucks and they're friendly and they're nice, but there is no river there. And so if that's what they're planted in, they're never going to have fruit. Psalm 46.4 says, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. You know what? When you've got a bunch of sad, depressed people in a church that look like it's a funeral every week, there is no river there because the river that you and I, thank God, have been hooked up to is a river that makes us glad. And it's funny that religious folks get mad when we're glad. It's not a bad enough that they are, let's see if I can get these words straight, mad, bad, glad. It's not bad enough that they are not glad and that they're mad, but then they get mad that we're glad. <laughs> and uh, how sad. <laughs> and you just can tell you have never tasted of the river. You have never swam in the river. And if you come bringing in a bubbly river, they're just like, Maud, who let her in the door? What is this? You know, I always have some fun with, you hear things pretty close to this, if not exactly like this, that every once in a while, we have some religious deadhead that leaves the meeting early. And if you could follow them out, and hear what they tell their family and their friends and their co-workers, you're going to hear something like this. I went to that meeting the other night. Church, mind you. Church. And something happened in the middle of it. I mean, it's so atrocious. It's so abominable. I don't even know how to express it. I don't even want to say it. You wouldn't even believe what happened in that church service. Right in the middle of the service. Right while somebody's preaching or worship during precious communion or during when people are trying to kneel and pray. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to tell you this. It's horrible. Mm, I'm going to try though. They all got, oh my goodness, mm, happy. So I, you understand I had to get up and leave. I've never seen such a thing in church. And when you listen to people talk, Thank God we're so far removed from it that we can't even begin to imagine how they think, let alone how they talk. And you think, have you never read the word of God, never read about joy unspeakable, or that the joy of the Lord is our strength, or that we'll get more into that later. Have you never read any of these things? Or that the river makes glad, not sad, not depressed, not stoic, not even neutral. It makes us glad. And then Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, not later, God's eyes and now God. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? Before I finish reading this, notice this. He is saying, I can be doing a brand new thing in your midst. And people still aren't aware of it. They're looking around once again going, Gladys, never seen such a newfangled thing as this laughing stuff in church. I don't think it's God, do you? And he's going, uh, I'm doing something in your midst. Shall you not know it? Shall you not recognize it? Shall you not have any discernment? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers, hallelujah, not just a little stream 
we like to sing songs in church, even Pentecostal churches, about a little well, little streams. He says rivers. This isn't even a fountain, not a stream, not a well. Rivers. There's a big difference in a still well that you got to pump and that sometimes it's bringing it up, sometimes it's not. And rivers that are constantly overflowing you and and they have a current and they are running and they have action with them and there is life in it. He said, I'll bring rivers in the desert. So I don't care what desert place that your life has. Maybe you've been in a desert with sickness and disease, a desert of poverty, a desert of family disappointment. Maybe a mate walked off and left you and abandon you. And you're like, I don't have a way to raise these kids. I don't have a way to make a living. That is a desert place. Maybe it's a desert place of religion. Lord, I've been hungry for you, but I've been sitting in the same church for 50 years and I'm not getting that hunger met. I am not getting satisfied. That's a desert place, a wanting place, a needing place. And the Bible says that he'll make a way in the wilderness how do you have a way made in the wilderness? That's a depressing place. He says, it's not going to be a wilderness anymore. I'm going to come right through and make a way for you to come out of the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And when you bring rivers to the desert, they can no longer remain a desert. You're going to have flowers springing up. You're going to have a forest springing up. You're going to have towns springing up. You're going to have a beautiful, flourishing uh, place springing up, crops springing up, farms springing up. And that means it can no longer be a desert. That's what rivers do. So no wonder the devil wants to stop up rivers. We've already ascertained they bring life. They bring healing. They bring gladness. They bring prosperity. They cause you to come out of the wilderness and the desert. They cause you to be fruitful and have deep roots. So the enemy's like, mm, those people have a river going on. I've got to dam up the river somehow. So what all do rivers do? They provide water for thirst. I mean, especially before people started polluting, it used to be that people just went and drank out of the river. That was their supply. Rivers take you places. Have you ever just gotten in the river and just gone with it? You're going to start here, but you're going to end up somewhere else. Many years ago, where I grew up on the uh, upper northeast corner of Nebraska, right on the border of Iowa and South Dakota. The big Missouri River runs right through where I lived. And one day, another lady from my church and I decided we heard that there was a raft race taking place where you start in Yankton, South Dakota. You come all the way down to Sioux City, Iowa on the Missouri River in a raft. And I was in good shape then many years ago and a weightlifting competitor and all that. And I'm always up for a new challenge. And I said, yeah, how about you and I enter the ladies uh, part of the race? We came in third and it took, oh, I don't even remember. I thought my arms were going to fall off from, you know, from paddling. But if we wouldn't have done that, we would have still ended up at the same destination because that river took us there. But we were trying to go there faster. So we were putting some effort. We were going with the current. But, and yielding to it, but we were also saying, I'm going after this thing. 
So even though rivers take you to the same place, if you uh, get in and say, I'm cooperating with this river and I'm going to do everything I know how to do to hunger more, to thirst more, to yield faster, to obey quicker, you'll still get there a little bit quicker than someone else. And uh, that was a fun thing. But I remember going, wow, this current's pretty fast in and of itself. It's going to take you from point A to point Z. And you can go all the way to the bottom of the country and out to the ocean. And, uh, you know, if you're headed west, you could end up in that big Columbia River that takes you out to the Pacific Ocean. And so rivers have a destination. They will take you places. You can get clean in them. So you can get purified in them. You might be all muddy, but man, I'm just going to jump in that river. And there won't need to be a lot of scrubbing. The minute you get in there, you are purified. You are clean. You can play in a river. Now, neither one of my parents uh, swam at all. I mean, it was really pitiful. Um, we aren't around a lot of water right in our little town. And they grew up on farms. They never got to go, you know, five, 10 miles away where the river banks were. They grew up on farms. And back in those days, there weren't swimming lessons. And neither one of my parents knew how to swim. And they were terrified of water. They did put my brother and I in swimming lessons. But even when we told them, we're swimming now, we're diving, they would never let us go to the lake with our friends, like our, all of our other friends did. We only could go with our parents. And then they would say, don't go in any deeper than up to your knees. I think, why did I even bother to take swimming lessons? This is ridiculous. But they were terrified. My dad told me that even in the Air Force, they said, you will learn how to swim, Rich, and we're going to make sure you do it right now. And they threw him in a deep pool. And he's going, he's panicking, of course, and he's going straight down. And they had to go in and rescue him. And he's gasping. And they said, again, he did it again. They said, you better swim the third time or you're going to die. And they still had to come in after him. Well, he was even more terrified of water after that. He didn't realize that the buoyancy of his own body, if he even did a little dog paddling or something, because when you fight the current or when you have fear, God cannot take you where he wants to take you. But normally, you know, it, you can play in the river. But again, my parents, they weren't outdoors people. Um, when we went on vacations, I mean, they did take us to Disneyland out in California, but they would always go on vacations where they could just stay in people's homes and visit with friends and relatives. And so it wasn't until I was an adult and hung out with outdoorsy people that I thought, oh, I love this. I was made for the outdoors. So I not only learned how to water ski on the Missouri River, of all things, but um, I couldn't wait like I said, to do raft races. I did a canoe, um, just a canoe trip, a three-day canoe trip. One time where you stop and you catch your own fish, build your own fire. I loved all of those outdoorsy things. But I noticed that while my parents wouldn't let you play in the river, as a young adult, I was going back into my second childhood thinking, I can do what I want now. And so sure enough, I would go tubing in the river, I would water ski on it. Obviously, you had to watch out for things like log jams and uh, all kinds of other weird stuff that came down the river. But you could play in it. You could frolic in it. 
I may even come back to that later of an experience I had in the river. We'll see. But if you're in the river, did you realize the enemy cannot get your scent? Psalm 42 verse 1 says, As the heart pants after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. The heart, another word for a deer. David is saying just like a deer pants for the water. That's what my soul does after you. Do you know panting isn't some inaudible, can't be seen, can't be heard thing? Are you panting? Yes, I am. No, we should be able to see if somebody's panting. If you watch a dog that's very thirsty, it starts to pant. You see the ribs go in and out, the sides of the dog go in and out. Its mouth is open, its tongue is out. <gasps> there ought to be some way that you and I pant for the spirit of the living God. It may be different for each person. One, it may be the panting of a scream. One, they may sound like they are on fire. One may be pushing in like the woman with the issue of blood, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. That's her way of panting. It may be like blind Bartimaeus screaming, Jesus. That's his way of panting when the religious crowd basically said, hey, knock it off. Quit your panting. We don't do it that way here. And he panted and screamed all the louder, Jesus. So when you are desperate and you are thirsty and you are hot, in a dry and barren land, you begin to call out. You begin to pant in some way. And the Bible says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee, O God. Why would a deer take to the water? There are several reasons. A deer takes to the water when it is thirsty, when it's hot, when it's dirty, when it wants to get clean. But you know one of the main reasons that a deer will run to the river and submerge itself with only the tip of his nostrils out of the water? It's because he's being hunted by an enemy. And as long as that enemy, like a wolf, a bear, whatever the case is, or, or maybe even a, a hunter out there looking for the deer, as long as he can get his scent, he can locate him. But the minute that deer is submerged in the river, that predator can no longer get his scent. And the deer knows that. Instinctively, the deer knows that. If I can get to the river, I will lose that wolf on my tail. And the good news is, my friend, is the Bible says that you and I have an enemy, that there is a thief, there is a devil. Lucifer is still going out seeking. So he's hunting. I'm trying to get their scent. Do I have them spotted? Seeking those whom he may devour. The good news is he has to figure out which ones he can and which ones he can't. It doesn't say he's going around devouring everybody. He's figuring out who he can and who he can't. Now, if you and I are deep enough in the river of God, you know, I like to say it this way. I like to turn upside down in the river with only my toenails sticking out. And people will say, I think that could be Debbie's toenail. She's deep in the river of God. So the minute we are deep in that river, which represents his presence, his glory, his Shekinah, his love, his tenderness, his character, his power, his everything. The minute I'm found in him, the enemy's like, I just had them in my sights. I could smell them. 
but suddenly they don't have that earthy smell anymore. They're covered with that sweet smell of the river of God. They are clean. They are pure. They are deep in the presence of God. And I can't get anywhere near that. The only time he can get a little bit of a scent again is if we get too close to those river banks and we touch the earth again. Oh, I think it's okay now. I've heard one of these greasy grace messages. I think I can go back to the earthly ways and a little sin here and there and flirting with the world, touching the, the banks a little bit. I'll still mostly be in the water, so I'll rub the dirt of this bank a bit. No, the minute you get back to touching that dirt, the enemy goes, aha, I got their scent again. So it is so important for you and I to stay deep in the river of God. Now, before we close out this session today and move on to another one, I think I am going to come back to something I thought of when I was talking about the river a while ago, and specifically the Missouri River that I grew up on. Um, the interesting thing is I was preaching in a certain church. Sometimes I say where it was, but I don't think since I'm doing this um, on social media, I'm going to announce at this time. I have no intention of embarrassing this lady. In fact, she's precious to me. But I was in a certain church, and they had this lady leading worship and on the keyboard. And maybe she wasn't leading. Maybe she was just doing the keyboard. All I know is every night... <laughs> When I looked at her, this is the way she's playing the piano. <clears throat> it's hard to have a joy service and a revival service where the public person that people can see up on the platform is just miserable, bitter, angry, full of whatever. And so I thought, man, I've got more than one way. And the Holy Ghost certainly has more than one way to get this lady she is becoming my, my objective, that she's going to be in the river by the time this week is over. So one night I said to her, hey, ma'am, do you know that old song, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength? I thought, surely she can do this and has to put a little bit of a smile on her face. But oh, no, I think she holds the record for playing and singing a song like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I thought, no way. Well, I've got some more verses to this, and surely it will do it. Oh, man, let's try this. He, 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 ha, 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 ha. But oh, no, she definitely set the record of being able to do this. He, 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 ha, 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 ho, ho. He, 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 he. I was so gone just with the hilarity of going, there is no way she is doing this. And so we get to Friday night and I'm preaching on the river of God. And in the middle of it, the Holy Ghost reminded me of something that happened to me on that Missouri River that I had not thought about in years. And it was hysterical. And I'm trying to tell them, you know, I don't care how much the river is flowing. People can make a decision to, to block it with a log jam and create dams just like the beavers do or put up a cement dam wall, <laughs> you know, the wall for the dams and whatever it is. And so people could stop that river one way or another. 
But, and I was used to seeing all this debris come down the Missouri River in the spring when we had, you know, some flooding and, and uh, you know, those early spring rains. But what I saw this time, I was not prepared for. Here I am water skiing. And I'm so proud of myself because nobody in my family can water ski but me. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And I'm going along and I'm like, oh, Debbie, watch out for the logs coming down. And then all of a sudden in the distance, I'm like, what is that? That doesn't look like a log, but it looks big. Oh, my. I'm straight on a target to hit this thing. What is it? And as I started to get fairly close, I'm like, oh, my goodness. I have never seen this before. You know what it was? It was some farmer's dead bloated cow on its back coming down the Missouri River. And I'm straight on target to hit that bloated thing. I don't even want to think of the repercussions. <laughs> but thank God I saw it in time. Thank God that the Holy Ghost can warn you about a dead bloated cow just in time before it's dead bloated stinky gas gets all over you. <laughs> and so I quickly made a turn to go around the cow. And all of a sudden I could see that as I was preaching on the river of God. And before I knew it, I said, you know what? Some of you are full of dead, stinky cows. And then I began to explain what a religious cow is. And, you know, most of you watching this are already river people, but just in case you're not quite sure what this is, we are going to go back with a little lesson on religious cows. How many know that in Hindu nations like India, Nepal, wherever, they actually believe cows, as well as many other things, are a god that they are holy. They decorate them. They clean them up. Even when their children are starving in the streets, I've been there to witness it. That cow's going to get fed. It's going to get decorated, even when their kids have no clothes to wear, because they believe those cows are holy. And you've heard the term, I'm sure, holy cow or what a holy religious cow, whatever. You and I have a bunch of culture, education, family upbringing, whatever, that can be just as detrimental. Remember that Jesus said that your tradition, he's talking to the Pharisees, your tradition has made the word of God of no effect. So obviously, as strong and powerful as the word of God is, because we have free choice, we can allow something to be stronger in our lives than that word of God instead of it being the final authority. No, what Aunt Mary said is what I'm going to go by. No, what Grandpa Joe said is what I'm going to go by. What preacher Sam said is what I'm going to go by. I don't care what that Bible says. This is what I've believed all my life and bless God, this is what I'll die believing. That is stubbornness and that is pride and that is allowing a huge religious cow to do what it wants to do. So anyway, the Lord gave me a lesson. I was going to go into it, but I just realized I am lacking the time to do so. Um, but he gave me a lesson in Nepal one time when I saw we came. Well, I'll just tell you very quickly. We came by a, a woman who was dead on the road and they said she had just been ran over by a truck driver. And they said because it was just a woman and they didn't think a woman's life had any importance, they wouldn't even go after him. He just kept driving. But they said if that was one of our cows, our holy cows, they would have found the driver, executed him, put him in prison, whatever, for the rest of his life. 
And when I was thinking, how sad is this and how ignorant, the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, Debbie, why do you think these people think these cows are holy? Do you think it's because they're less intelligent? No, Lord, absolutely not. It's because their religion has taught them it's holy. Their education has taught them those cows are holy. Their parental upbringing has taught them these cows are holy. Their friends and the propaganda and the news has told them those cows are holy. So therefore to them, they are holy. And God helped the person who would try to bring in the truth and tell them they are not holy. But he said, the people of the Western world, and yes, even the United States of America, have just as many, if not more, holy cows than these people in Hindu nations do. And that's what you're up against in churches when it's like, that's not the way we've done it before. That's not the way we've sung the song. That's not the length of the services we've had. We don't have people rolling on the floor, getting happy. We No, this isn't the way we do it here. And we, we, we don't mention giving. This is not the, and so those are holy cows. So I'm explaining this, this night in this revival meeting. And then all of a sudden God gave me a picture of this bloated dead cow. And I said, tonight we will get rid of, we've got to kill the dead bloated fat cows in your life. And of course the people are losing it. It was a real joyful service anyway. It's Friday night, Holy Ghost blowout. And when I called for the prayer line, much to my shock, that keyboardist got in the line. She never did any night the previous week. In fact, she went up to do her little thing up there to try to avoid the Holy Ghost. And so I'm so shocked. Wow, something seems to be having an effect. She's at least in the prayer line, but she's still not looking happy. And when I got to her, you know, she was a bigger lady, but I'm not even noticing those things in the prayer line. I'm just noticing where there's hunger, where there's thirst, where I have a job to do. And I didn't even think about her size when I said this. God help me. I did not think of it. <laughs> but the next thing I knew, because I just preached this, I said, tonight, woman, the big fat cow has to die. <laughs> and as soon as the words came out of my mouth, I'm doing this, but it's too late. It's like I'm standing outside myself saying, you just said what to her? And I thought, oh, I, I have my eyes closed. And I thought, I am dead. She has looked so mad the rest of the nights. I can't even imagine now. She's probably going to hit me. And if worse didn't come to worse and things weren't bad enough. I had just held revival the week before in another state and a bunch of those people followed me down to this state and they volunteered to be catchers and ushers and a big farmer from Kansas was her usher. And he thinks in farmer terms. And when I said the big fat cow has to die, all of a sudden I heard this moo. <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness, if what I said wasn't bad enough, this cannot be happening. This lady's going to kill me. And when I opened my eyes, much to my surprise, she began to smile and then laugh and then fell out in the ground, rolling and laughing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And she told me later, she said, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been kind of bitter. Oh, no, none of us noticed any of that. And she said, but not only have things happened in my life, because of my size, I was always self-conscious and afraid to get in a prayer line because I was afraid they couldn't catch me because I'm bigger. But tonight, I was desperate for the cow to die, and I was desperate to get free in the river of God, and she did. 
So I will conclude today with, you know what? Maybe you thought, I've been in the river long enough, all cows are dead. But every once in a while, you know what I discover? There is still one bellowing that has to die. And you think, God, I thought all these religious cows were shot a long time ago. Well, hate to tell you this, but one of them must have been pregnant. One of those heifers and had a calf. And even when the mom died, that calf has now grown up to fruition. And that's why we have to have the Holy Ghost constantly examining our hearts. And people, I'll just tell you, I'm a religious cow hunter. And I can see them spotted at 300 yards. And we're going to open up that double barrel shotgun of the Holy Ghost, also known as a two-edged sword. Or maybe sometimes I come in some places and kind of bring in a whole machine gun. And then back the other way. Because we cannot have the river flowing as long as there's a bunch of gripey, mad, sad, depressed religious cows running around. You can hear them. You can hear them out loud in the meetings. They'll go, Maude, how long is she going to take to talk about money? And I'm like, I didn't just see one. I hear one now. But I got you spotted. So with that, my friend, allow God to shoot every cow you have and jump deep in the river of God in Jesus' name.